Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Dr. Betty Johnson has 30 years leadership and change consulting experience and also has a PhD in leadership and change. She founded and leads Bridging the Difference LLC, which serves clients that include private, public, and nonprofit leaders and their teams. As president of the firm, Betty helps leaders recognize the behavior goal misalignments that impede their success and shows them how to bridge the difference to get extraordinary results. Her company's proprietary methods are grounded in scientific research and all demonstrate measurable outcomes. Betty's most recent book, Making Virtual Work, How to Build Performance and Relationships, is based on research data from hundreds of remote employees, and she also provides step-by-step concrete and actionable solutions for improvement. Betty, we are so thrilled to have you here with us today on Be Brave at Work. Thank you, Ed. It's lovely to be here. We'd love to hear a little bit more from you about how you are currently interacting in the marketplace. So tell us a little bit of your story and what type of work are you currently doing? Most of the work that I do is with teams, Ed. And the reason that I love working with teams is because that's where the bumps and the conflict and the the getting stuck happens. And it's also where it's the fulcrum point for transformation. When a team can recognize what it's doing to get in its own way and come to its own conclusions about what will make things better and then have the support of an external person like myself to help guide them in taking those actions, measuring the outcomes and deciding, okay, based on that, what do you want to keep doing or what do you want to change more? Team performance changes. We call this work, my clients and I, middle out work. You know, a lot of consultants like to start at the C-suite. They say, well, if you're going to have some you know, meaningful change, it needs to be trickled down. It has to start with the executive team. And I, I think that's a myth. Here's why. Executive teams are typically siloed, right? Each has its own responsibility, sales, uh, quality, manufacturing. And there is very little interdependence among those people leading those silos. I do what I do, and then you're, down, you're downstream from me. You do what you do. But in a team, there's so much interdependence that if things aren't working well, Everybody knows it. 
and everybody knows why. So when you can use empirical measurement to say, okay, this is the language we're going to use to talk about why we can we keep getting stuck in these certain places. And here's what we know we have the power to do to change that. Instead of pointing the finger at HR, pointing the finger at the executive team, let's stand in the power that we have and affect the change that we can, because when we do, we will be a magnet for this organization. People will see how change can happen. Well, I'm just wondering, Betty, based on that work, it's interesting that uh, we all belong on just so many teams. You know, some people laugh about how many teams that they're on. And yet we're so poor as a culture in creating and leading teams. And I'm just wondering if you have any insights based on other clients you've worked with or research that you've done. You know, why are we so bad at setting up teams? It creates work for you and I, which is great. But, you know, we're just so bad at it. When I look back at my tenure in corporate America, most of the teams I were on, were underled, undermanaged. We talked about the same things week after week after week. You know, why, why is that? All that swirl. That's the word. All that swirl. Swirl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, there are lots of reasons, but let's take something really practical, something pragmatic that your listeners can embrace and do something about. In my book, Making Virtual Work, I leveraged the research that I did in the middle of the pandemic, August, five, five months into work from home. I was really curious about why so many people were saying they were wiped out. And I, too, was feeling really wiped out by my video meetings. You know, I'm a tremendous extrovert. I'm really high on the scale. <laughs> and so I love being in conversation with people. I'm energized by it. But at the end of a day of video meetings, I had to go lay down on the sofa and fall asleep. I was burnt. And doing that more than one day in a row, I would have to have days to recover. So it was it was an unusual experience. I've been working. I've been working remotely since before there were home computers. Okay, (laughs) and I've been doing video meetings since well, since Zoom was launched. I was one of their first clients. I've been doing this for a really, really long time. So this was a different thing, and I wanted to know what it was about. Well, it's cut to the to the the punchline, which is. What was wearing virtual workers out was not the stuff like being on camera, what we we want to talk about, because it's easy to talk about. It was leadership behaviors that were driving people crazy and and wearing them out. So I think the, the fulcrum for a team leader to begin to really reap the value of a team, regardless of how it was formed to begin with. You probably inherited a lot of these people. Maybe you don't even really want all these people on your team, but you're stuck with them. So what are you going to do about that situation? How are you going to be brave as a leader to change it up so you get what you want while they get what they want to? I mean, that's the magic recipe. The leader gets what they want when the people get what they want, right? One collective. And making virtual work has a really simple recipe for how you conduct your meetings. It applies to video meetings, but also applies to hybrid and in-person meetings too, Uh, because these are leadership behaviors, the things that you do to help create voice, agency, contribution, get people engaged in the content and the work of the meeting, as opposed to being engaged in trying to pretend they give a rat's you know what about what you're talking about. There's a whole lot of that pretending that's going on in meetings, whether it's in person or on video. And, and it's because team members aren't getting what they need. 
The book is about how do you set things up so your team gets what it needs to be high performing and building relationships. Because at the end of the day, isn't as a leader, isn't that what you want? I mean, it's those relationships that create stickiness and it's the performance that gets your bonus. So it's an everybody wins proposition. Well, when you think about being on a team, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts, Betty, about a person. uh, And this is something I hear from clients frequently, which is I don't even know why I'm on this team. I shouldn't even be on this team. So somehow I've been invited or for some reason somebody thinks I should be there and I don't. So how can somebody exit a team respectfully uh, in their organization? So, well, to exit a team is one thing. To exit a team meeting or never get yourself in that situation to begin with is a is another thing altogether. Uh, you know, with today's hybrid structures, we wind up being, quote, on teams that where we did really, I mean, who knows why we're there? Is it just be- for oversight? Is it just a CYA move? Is it so that I feel included? Like what? what and so that's a bigger conversation than the meeting itself, but both have the same root solution, which is to ask as opposed to passively receive what's served up on your plate. And that's the bravery I think that you're talking about. So one of the things that I recommend in my, I have a trademark process called intentional meetings. It leverages the research that's in the book. And people often say, what do I do about all these meetings I'm invited to? I have no idea why I'm there, why I'm there. And, you know, sometimes it's my boss and I'm still showing up and it's an hour wasted. So my recommendation in that situation is to say something like this. Now, this isn't a script, you know, so because you've got a relationship with your boss and you'll know how to say this in the words that are right for your context but essentially to say, hey, thanks for inviting me to this meeting. What's your target outcome for this meeting? I'm asking because I want to prepare so I can show up and support that. Well, you're doing several things when you when you ask that question. You're managing up because you're help, you're showing the support that you know your leader wants you to give, but you're also raising the awareness. You're helping to shift the mindset of your leader. Like, oh, I'm not really sure what my target outcome is. This is just a regular weekly meeting that I hold because it's on my calendar. And so you're helping your boss think more strategically about the use of time and what can be accomplished. Sometimes the leader will say, well, you know, we're just going to talk about the updates on such and such. And, you know, then you take that to the next question. Okay, great. Is it something you need me to contribute to or you just want me to listen? Now I know how I'm supposed to show up. So it's really the same thing for you're on a team and you don't know why you're on the team. You know, hey, tell me why I'm on this team. I'm asking because I want to show up and support the team. And it's well, you know, you're just on the team because and this sort of a vague thing. Okay, well, good. Well, tell me how you want me to show up with the team so that um, so that I'm fulfilling your desires. Well, I love that perspective because it feels future focused and it feels supportive as well as curious, which is I'm curious to know how you'd like me to show up at the meeting because the outcome might be, I guess now that I think about it, it doesn't make sense that you have to come to the meeting or it might be, look, you could be very helpful if you do the following, which will help me. Right. So I think there are multiple outcomes that can come from it, but it's not literally like, hey, I don't think I should be there. Why am I there? Which feels negative and weighty. But it's, hey, I want to help you in any way that I can. Can you tell me how I should be or how I could behave at the meeting? And I think that's a great strategy. I know you also do work 
uh, Betty, on dignity. And this is, a, a, I think, maybe a newer area for you, or at least uh, newer since the virtual work uh, products that you've been uh, you know, bringing to the marketplace. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in that arena? Sure. So principles of dignity have been embedded in the work that I do since I founded my firm in 2010. And, uh, and, and really, that was in response to what I was experiencing working for other organizations where there was a lack of affirmation of dignity, where, in fact, there were violations of dignity, mine and other people. And I saw how that built such a toxic workplace. So I've been a study of, or a student of dignity at work and building it into my proprietary solutions all along the way with the idea that dignity at work is not something that you pursue as 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 its own means right Dign- what dignity at work enables is information flow innovation collaboration stickiness of employee of the workforce so because i'm so passionate about this having completed my research on virtual work I immediately partnered with uh, another consultant academic on a study of dignity. What we are curious about, and we, we remain curious, is in today's climate of press for inclusivity and, and diversity, he and I perceive there are a lot of leaders who really don't know what good looks like. Right. They just know you're supposed to be doing this. And, and it actually is becoming a thorn in many people's sides because here's an expectation and you haven't told me what good looks like. You just want me to do it. So what Mike and I think is there's a very close tie between dignity and inclusion, a sense of belonging. And when people experience the dignity that contributes to this, their sense of belonging, there are studies that show uh they're apt to do certain things that enhance business outcomes. And when they don't, we believe there are certain outcomes that will detract from business outcomes. So that's what our current research is on. We've just closed the survey. We're just now beginning our data analysis, uh, but we're really excited about this study. We actually think that that it's going to have some longevity. It's an exploratory study now. So we'll get some, some initial indicators and then from there, we all dive deeper. He and I both believe that dignity is the path, right? And so if it's kind of peeling back the onion, if psychological safety is the number one differentiator between so-so teams and great teams, and Google's five-year project Aristotle told us, yes, that's true. Okay, so if psychological safety is the number one differentiator and empathy is the thing that produces psychological safety, which is what Amy Edmondson and the rest of those super smart researchers on Project Aristotle said, then we know what empathy looks like at a theoretical level. But perhaps what empathy looks like at a boots on the ground level is affirmation of dignity. So this is how the thread that connects my work on researching virtual meetings and how empathy is really the core model for making things better for everyone. So now let's take that a step further and not just in workplace meetings, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of dignity violation happens in meetings. Um, How do these practices identified by our participants as being affirming or violating contribute to what you want? as a leader or what you don't want as a leader? Well, I am uh, 
recently experiencing an epiphany around dignity in respect to it being a great leadership behavior. So I love the topic of dignity and look forward to reading any work that you produce around the survey you've done. Uh, You know, I used to work for a boss at my prior company who, as president of the company, would be one of those people you think either didn't show dignity to everybody or leveled people, right, and showed dignity to important people, but not so much to others. Yet he was a person who demonstrated dignity to everyone. And whether it was the president of the company calling him or a part-time driver in California who started yesterday, he would talk to you. He would find time to talk to you. And I asked him one day, And I said, you know, you always find time to talk to everybody. And so many other people just don't seem to be able to do that. You know, how is it that you do that? And he said two things. One, you know, Ed, I treat everyone with dignity. And if they need to speak to me, it's for a reason. And I don't just dismiss it and say, oh, call Ed or, you know, I don't have time to speak with you. And then secondly, it was a little bit more structural, which is, you know, I'd rather they talk to me if they have an issue than somebody else, because somebody else might hurt us as an organization versus help us. So if they have an issue they want to share with me, I'm going to make time to do that. And he was extremely professional about it and would even tell his boss, hey, I'm happy to speak with you, but at 9.15, I got a call coming in I need to take, as opposed to just blowing you off and calling you back later. So I do agree with you, Betty, that this is an extremely important behavior. And I'm curious, as you have traveled the work that you've been doing and have experienced what you have experienced as a leader and as a consultant, as a researcher, do you have any stories or do you have a story about a time that you didn't show bravery and the impact that activity had on your career and or your development? I do. Yes. I think it's important to say that I not only believe this about myself, but I'm told this frequently by other people that, that you know, you, Betty, you are so courageous. <laughs> Betty, you, you just it really showed up. I don't know. I don't know how you stand up in that. And so it's, it's part of my MO. You know, I'm lucky enough to have had an upbringing that instilled that kind of courage in me. And so it's just part of my identity. But that said, Working for an organization where the executive team is the the antithesis of what you described with your leader, where where there is a toxicity that is bred within that executive team, you can show up with a lot of courage, a lot of bravery, and still suffer. It doesn't mean that, that bravery overcomes the difficult situation in the moment. I worked for this, this boutique change management firm, and I reported to a member of a, the executive team who, is, um, who was the kind of leader that thought they were really rich in emotional intelligence, really knew how to motivate and tap into people's underlying drivers, and, uh, and he was Machiavellian about that. So on number, a number of occasions, I was humiliated in front of the executive team and humiliated in front of my peers. Uh, and it wasn't just me. I saw this happening to other people. There was, you know, a misogynist aspect of it that was um, repugnant. And, you know, I really loved working for this company and I love my job. I believed in the services that this company provided. My clients were you know, the A-list of organizations and roles within those organizations that any consultant would be thrilled to work with. But that toxic culture 
was so punishing that really my only option was to leave. So I yes, I showed up with bravery. And I also knew that people don't change because you point out their weaknesses. They change when they see a model of something that looks like what they want more than what they have now. And in that leadership team with that person I reported to, I just didn't see where I was going to be able to show him a model of something he wanted more than what he already had, which was a pretty perfect fiefdom. How I think about that experience, and you know, I've had a few others. I mean, if you're a woman working in corporate America and you haven't experienced challenges where you've had to show up brave and you still suffered, I want to hear from you. Um, I really do. But how how I think about that is really through the lens of a mythological story. You know, think about Daenerys in Game of Thrones, right? Per- this is a perfect metaphor for, I think, leadership bravery. So Daenerys has these three dinosaur eggs and she keeps them in her chest close by. Now, right, right there, that's a metaphor, right? I have this power that's in my chest and I'm holding it. And when did those dinosaurs, those, when did they hatch? They hatched when she was standing in the fire. I really think those experiences, like the one I just told you about, where I had this, I was in this toxic workplace and where I was maligned and belittled and, uh, you know, really suffered from that and, but showed up with a game face every day. I think that's, that's really about my having those dinosaur, you know, eggs in my chest, ready to hatch the power in my chest, ready to hatch when the fire gets hot enough they will emerge. And that was really my experience. So I left that firm. I went to work for another organization that had the complete opposite corporate culture and how marvelous that was. But I wouldn't have known to find that if I hadn't experienced its opposite. Well, it is amazing how often behavior impacts people and to the degree that you would actually leave a company because of their behavior and not just you, but anybody would leave an experience to go to that effort to find a new opportunity to me is always just compelling in respect to the impact that these behaviors can have on others. Betty, thank you so much for your time today. I'm sure if we had more time, you have a million stories that you could tell, I'm sure, about bravery at work, dignity at work, and the experience that you have had, as well as your clients that you work with have experience that you have observed. If folks want to hear more from you or find out more about your organization, where can they go? The best place to go is start with my website, bridgingthedifference.com. There you'll find a link to follow our LinkedIn newsletter, which comes out monthly. You'll also get a rich library of insights, tools, techniques that you can use, and you'll learn more about the work that we do with organizations. We have some case studies there. So I hope that you'll come visit us and uh, there's also a way to set up a talk time through my website. So if you want to have a conversation, go to the website and schedule a call. Great. Well, I hope our listeners do that. And just to remind them, your uh, recent book is called Making Virtual Work, How to Build Performance and Relationships. Betty, thank you once again for joining us today. Thank you, Ed. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. 
We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.